Rock and roll. Kia ora, everybody. What's up? It is Rebet. Welcome to Rebet Live, episode 263. I've done some counting. We've done a lot, and we're keeping it going. Uh, politics last week, politics this week, and I thought I'd do a political panel. And I, I'll tell you why I'm excited, team. I'll tell you why. Because I've interviewed, I know, these, these fine political weapons that are about to join us, and I'm going to have no understanding of about 98. 9% of all the stuff they're going to get into because they can actually go deep on stuff that I don't really know much about. But I'm going to stand here quietly in the corner and I will happily learn and listen because I, I will say, not that I didn't give a shit about politics before, but when you get older and you start realizing you got to say, pay the old tax and you start realizing, wait a second, that's kind of more money that I could have for other stuff. And you start thinking about it. Then you have kids and you'd be like, wait a second, my wife's a nurse. They should get paid more stuff that my, my children need to get, you know, better education. These roads are shit. That stuff's whack and all the rest of it. Before you know it, everything you know and touch in your life is some way associated to politics. So I've got a newfound respect for it and I've learned more and more. And well, obviously with the uh, the politics, uh, the election last week, there was lots of stuff happening. Um, clearly, I'm not physically on the ground, but it's been really good to watch. So without further ado, we're going to have a political panel introducing in first Mr. Ashley Church, Brad Olson, and last but not least, Holly Bennett. I actually should have gone the other way, Holly, so I apologize. Ladies first. How are we, team? Good. Very well. Good, good, good. Good to see you all. Was there an election? <laughs> so I think I'll start this way. Um, one, uh, Brad, way to just totally copy and try and one-up Ashley's uh, background game <laughs> and suit and tie. Uh, two, Holly, I like the, the black. You've clearly got the memo. Happy with that. Yep. And, um, nice. and then I thought this would be – Good because every time I've talked politics and stuff with you guys before, and it's always very interesting. And so maybe we'll do ladies first. Um, where are you? What's going on? And in one minute summary, how do you think the week went in politics? And then we can get into a few different topics. But Holly, lead us off, and then followed by um, Ashley, then Brett. Holly, okay, absolutely. Killed everyone. Um, a, men a momentous election result. First time in MMP history that we have a government formed outright. I thought that that was spectacular. Um, definitely a sense of what's happening on the ground in the country, uh, perhaps attributable somewhat to COVID-19, but definitely a sense of that this government now has to govern for a very centrist agenda. Um, not any radical stuff, not any like far-reaching left. And um, I'm really interested to see what will deliver over the next three years. Great soundbite, Holly. Straight into it, uh, Ashley. Yeah, so I, I agree with Holly's summary. Don't necessarily share her enthusiasm. Um, for me, it was the uh, <laughs> for me it was the the, uh, the victory of substance over uh, sorry style over substance. Um, but yeah, but Holly's right. We've got the one good thing for me that's come out of it is that the Greens aren't going to hold the balance of power. We've got a government which is which is going to recognise. I think that it has to vote in the centre, as Holly said. Uh, sorry, that it has to uh, govern in the centre, as Holly said. And uh, the result of that's going to be, I think. Not actually a lot's going to happen over the next two or three years. It's going to be a relatively benign uh, environment um, leading up to the, the 2023 election. You got me excited, Ashley. Thanks for that, uh, Brad. <laughs> I, I, I'm sort of surprised by you, I say, uh, you know, being so energetic about it, because for me it was a pretty boring election. I mean, it went on for a long time. Uh, and if anything, we got the the result that we'd all been expecting. If anything, That's though, true. what 
surprised me was that, uh, look, we know we knew that Labor was going to hold up the party vote. I was really surprised at how many uh, electorate seats were flipped. That's people saying that, look, I want a Labor person on the ground to represent me. And that's a big, big change. The struggle yeah. I think for the government moving ahead is going to be, Look, we've, there's a lot of talk going on, and, and talk is cheap, right? We need to get some action going, and the government has struggled with that in the previous term. They couldn't get light rail underway. Kiwi Build absolutely was a, a, just abysmal, um, you know, and the pr Provincial Growth Fund just didn't go anywhere. So I think this time the focus is on execution, and that's going to be interesting. You don't have necessarily the Greens providing some of those really uh, far-reaching ideas, but you also don't have New Zealand First as a handbrake or as a check. And so Labor's, I think, got a lot of work to do to maintain a cohesive direction. Yeah, I was just going to say, Brad, I was, you, you started to quote the failures. I was going to say, don't do that. We've only got an hour. <laughs> so if anyone doesn't know, Ashley's the big proponent of, is it the Māori Party? Is that what you're representing out there? That's me, the that me, yeah. Mate. No, yeah. I... I have it's I really I sit in such a funky funky spot. I think you know I've told you my thing before. You know when I was, um, family's from Ngati Paro, East Coast, Gisborne, heavy Maori roots. Get that. Grown up in Aranui, Christchurch, heavy Labour on the east side with um Leandaz, Dalziel, and, and and that crew. I then went this pro snowboard world, travel the world. It was all green environment and, and people. And then I come into business world, and then obviously you know can understand from the, the the national sort of side of things. And I've got friends all over the spot. But what was really interesting in this election is I've got different pockets of crews I talk to and the text banter on the different tones. There was an overarching theme of if where likability of a human was so disconnected from action on the ground of politics from all of it. They were saying, she's just so likable and lovely. And I was saying, well, if that's what the people want, isn't that the best thing? So maybe on, maybe I'll, I'll ask this question to sort of lead it off. If we didn't have COVID and, and those big events from actual execution, do you think the results would have gone the way it did? If COVID wasn't here, would the same thing have happened? Or do you think it would have flipped? Oh, everyone's shaking. We've got, we've got, okay, please continue. We're, well, we've got some consensus. <laughs> The thing we probably want to focus on there is looking at the polls back before COVID and they showed a very tight race and that people were sort of thinking about a change. And I, I, particularly, I think, from a business point of view, we're already seeing some cracks emerge. Um, now, those cracks have been blown to smithereens because of COVID. Uh, but again, I think from people moving ahead, the other thing that businesses often look at uh, is what, what they can get out of things, right? They're self-interested. What they could see coming out of this COVID election was continuity. They could see that the, the ground wouldn't shift. There'd be no real direction change because I think as both Ashley and, and Holly have mentioned, this was a bit of a policy light election. We had a lot of uh, you know star power, but we didn't have a lot of discussions around what was going to change. And businesses at the moment are very happy to have a stable basis of operations. Yeah. Holly, do you want to go before me? No, all right, I'll, I'll jump in there then. <laughs> I, you wrote article, I wrote an article about this back in February based on the landscape as it existed back then, and, so, and I was actually predicting at that stage a change of government, and the reason for that was because based, and it was pre-COVID, based on all of the indicators back then and based on any sort of basic understanding of how MMP works, uh, this was going to be a one-term government. I don't think there was any doubt of that. Uh, Bridges was polling significantly higher as, as leader of national uh, than Labor uh, by about a nine percentage point margin. Um, even the, the the Greens and Labor combined weren't going to be able to, 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 to get enough support to form a government. Um, it was all looking like it was going national's way and then COVID hit and the entire political environment changed. So for me, 
it's all about COVID. It's entirely about COVID. It's entirely about the narrative that Labor uh, managed to develop around COVID, and it's entirely about what happened subsequent to that first outbreak. And I would definitely have to agree with what Brad said in terms of like businesses are inherently self-interested. Absolutely. I run too. And of course, I'm always thinking about what's happening in the bottom line of those businesses and where the money's going and where it needs to go. What we really need to see as both other um, other panellists have touched on is a plan now because the absence of any way out of this COVID crisis, a plan to this point, has not been seen and now they have an outright majority in Parliament to make things happen. We need to see a plan. Something has to yep. change and we have to have a pathway forward. Because it feels like there's a, uh, her br brand Jacinta globally has won every single marketing award that any human could ever potentially have for the world, right? Like it's insane. But then at the moment, I think what you're saying is there's, there's no, it's like marketing sales, great brand. And now you've got to go and execute and go to actually sell and do some stuff. So do you think she's going to be more pressured to actually execute now because she's got the brand, she's back in there. And like, do you think that's going to play a role for this just, next bit? Just on that, just so on that marketing thing, Robert. Um, I mean, if it was about branding, if it was about image, the Kardashians would be running the US. And I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but it's that. Well, Kanye is going for president. He's, well, he's, he's half there. So, so good point. Maybe that's going to work. Um, but but going forward, I think in Holly's intro, she was right. It's not about what she necessarily instinctively wants to do. It's about what she's going to recognise is going to be required over the next uh, three years in order to maintain a, a, a third term. And the reason for that, if you look at the way that the national vote went, so let's be fair, national blew this election for themselves. Uh, so, so they weren't going to win it, but there's a good chance they could have got into the mid-30s if they'd actually run a better campaign. The reason that didn't is because of all the shenanigans that went on with leadership changes, the leaking and all the things that happened prior to the uh, to, to the lead up to the election. Um, but if you look at what happened to the national vote, it's pretty clear what happened. Obviously, the core stayed with them. But I think a, a fairly significant chunk of it went in one of two directions. It either went to ACT, uh, people who voted for ACT because they recognised that ACT was going to get in, so they might as well put their vote there because they were disgruntled with national. Um, but there was a fairly large cohort, I think, in that last probably seven days who saw the prospect of the Greens having a, a stranglehold over Labour and being in a position where they actually exercised the balance of power, who said, no way do we want that, and they voted Labour. So, so if Clark, if, Clark, if, <laughs> if Adern is smart, she's going to recognise that, and in order to hold those people, she's going to have to govern more in the centre. I think, I mean, the other challenge, though, from a, from a, I guess, the direction from here point of view, is that we've had a good response. Now, crisis management is, is critical, uh, you know, has been critical the last few months, and the government's done well. They stood things up quickly, they supported businesses, they supported households. All of that was fantastic. But we don't, like Holly said, and I think this is actually the most critical point, we don't actually have a firm plan going forward. Uh, we, If we look at the second, uh, the resurgence outbreak in Auckland, Ministry of Health was ready to go. They had contact tracing, it was all fine. The finance minister, the treasury, Ministry of Social Development, they said, hey, it's going to take us about five days to get another wage subsidy ready. Just hold on, will you? And so that sort of said to me that we were ready for a bit of a reaction, but we didn't have those longer term plans in place. And I guess I say that because you look at the borders, they're not going to be open anytime soon. That's 5% of the economy gone. You also look at, uh, you know, we are in a recession. We're not going to have as much money either from overseas or from local households. That's a bit more coming back. And so the question becomes, okay, what does the government do to stimulate that activity? Because that short term stimulus is good, but you can't pay out 14, 15, 16 billion 
on a wage subsidy every year, um, you know, that, that's just not sustainable. And the challenge is that at the moment, the focus is on education. Now, that's broadly good, but it's too focused, I think, on the group of people that, um, I'm not going to say don't need the help, but is missing in a sense. So at the moment, we've got shovel-ready projects, $3 billion worth of stimulus, and a lot of focus on getting people uh, re-educated in uh, the likes of construction and, and similar. But we also know that Māori, young people and women are most affected in terms of the job losses so far. Now, if I go up to Northland, um, you know, my, my home area of Kaitokoro, uh, they will tell me that if you want to put a, a young person and, you know, say a young woman into a training course, they can go and do an electrician's course for free or they can try and become a nurse and pay seven grand a year. And I think we really need to recognise that when we sort of approach these issues, when we think of this recovery plan, we actually focus on the people because too often I think we just focus on the overarching stuff and that's not going to get us forward. That's not going to put us in a good position. It's going to keep a lot of New Zealanders in a very tough place. Man, I can't wait in six years when you try to run for some seat or some shit. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know. I thought you were saying from my hometown of like Ponsonby with your pocket bearing <laughs> shit. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> you're great. Honestly, you're on fire. I love it. So but on that, I think it's interesting. I'll ask, you know, you talk about the with um, national stuffing up. ACT made that huge pop. Like, and I don't know, I've talked to Holly about this. I don't know much about it. But is it because his social game was so epic and for like six weeks, or was it for a whole bunch of other reasons? Please tell no, me, please enlighten me. It's an illusion. It's a, it's almost there's a little bit of it that's based on I I think a sort of an admiration for David Seymour, which I kind of get the whole dancing with the stars thing. But a big chunk of it I think is 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 disgruntled national voters who are looking for somewhere to put their vote. And for that reason, and this is going to sound really pessimistic, and Holly might disagree with me. I don't think it can hold up in 2023. I think most of it will go home. Oh, yeah, I do agree. I do agree with that. Um, but yeah, uh, we've got three years in between that time to sort of see what happens. So yeah, uh, Renee, there's an assumption that national is better for business. Well, that all depends what business you're in. Any plan going forward would be interesting because it won't necessarily align with the values of NAP voters. Huh. I don't know that that was... assumption actually exists. To be honest, I think that uh, if you look back over the last thirty years, Helen Clark. Um, certainly, the 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 Longy government they were also very good for business. So I think it, it's it, I, I think that's probably a little bit of an assumption. The challenge take that, Renee. <laughs> the, the challenge for businesses is going to be that, um, you know, although that uh, you know I said earlier that businesses like a bit of continuity, they like that good planning. There's also going to be another increase, substantial increase to the minimum wage uh, on the 1st of April next year. Now, I mean, that's been pretty well signalled, but I don't think we've ever had such a massive rise in the minimum wage at a time when we're losing, you know, we've got 70,000 Kiwis out of work since the start of this crisis. Uh, and, and I think it is going to be challenging for bottom lines. It is going to be challenging for people trying to um, uh, rehire. And, and so that's a struggle we've got to focus on. But the other point, and Holly, I'll be interested in this because I feel like you work a bit closer with, with people, whereas I work a bit closer with numbers, if you will. But my sort of feeling around the popularity and the social media stuff is that although that's true, New Zealand has this real fascination with can I have a beer with them sort of sort of uh, mentality. You know, you could go and have a beer with John Key. You'd have a beer with, with Jacinda Ardern. I mean, she she helped uh, some bloke in, in the Kuru Club find a bottle opener when she was there. You know, it, it was the sort of thing where it was um, just a lot more personable. I don't know if that's strictly true or as true anymore, but for a lot of people, they are looking at who do I... Uh, trust enough to lead the country and therefore I've got to feel a bit more of a relation to them. 
Yeah, sure. But what I would say is that, you know, having a relationship with somebody doesn't necessarily equate to good policy, good spending of taxpayers' money and then moving our country forward. So what you're saying is 100% correct. But as I keep saying to a lot of people, that's not what I'm looking for. It's irrelevant to me. I don't have to like you as long as you're good at your job. And I want to say that. But but Holly, how typically you? Because I, I, I agree with, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I think Brad's right. I think a really large chunk of the electorate did exactly that, who, who, who aren't necessarily informed about what makes for a good leader or what they should be looking for in so, policy. Likeability, 100%. Yeah, and they look at her and they say, I like her, I'll vote for her. She likes okay. whiskey. She's in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, incidentally, just coming back to the issue about the, the wage subsidy, that's a really interesting one because I'm really conflicted on that because on the one hand, one of the key roles of a government should actually be to improve a lot of its people. And if raising your wages are going to do that, then, then you know, tick, that's fantastic. On the other hand, that's actually going to be paid for by the private sector at possibly the worst time uh, in, in, in the last 15 or 20 years in do terms you, of yet another imposition. Do you mean the wage subsidy or do you mean No, the sorry, I'm talking increase. about the increase, minimum wage, sorry. Oh, from um, okay. so, so businesses are going to have to pay for that. So, so I get it. I understand why you would want to do it. And it's actually an aspect of the policy I agree with but hell of a bad time to actually put it on businesses right now. Oh, and even to continue, like kick on with the one April increase when we were in lockdown, which meant that some yeah. businesses could make zero dollars. I yeah. mean, it's all just, very well to sit in our rosy situation where I could continue to keep making money because I can take my laptop and my phone anywhere absolutely. and I can work. But there were some businesses that they were told you cannot open zero dollars for you. But hey, here's a minimum wage increase. It comes. It comes down to this old-fashioned word, Holly. It comes down to lack of wisdom. It's just. It's. It's. There, there doesn't appear to be wisdom in the policy settings that, that these guys are implementing. I was going to ask a, a question. Oh, sorry, Brad. You want to go? Go for it. No. Um, I was just going to say, Brad. You talked about um, with the borders being shut, five percent of GDP is out the flipping door. When you've only got a local local people that are there with its own thing, how do you think they're going to best try and stimulate to make that make that back? Because I think, was it Holly saying last week when they talked about the tech thing, um, was that Jacinda had said a soundbite of, oh, I don't think we can do it through servers sitting in a room or something. There was like some soundbite that came out. How do you think they're going to do it? Or what do you think the, um, it's a big gap. That's the challenging thing, right, is that, you know, it is going to be a a long, slow road. And that's why our forecasts are are a little bit uh, longer in the tooth. You know, when we uh, were talking to the the retail banks, for example, uh, and the likes of the Treasury early on this crisis, all of them thought you'd have unemployment that would rock it up, uh, but then would fall back down within within a year or two. We've always maintained the view that we were going to see unemployment that won't go quite as high, but it will remain at a higher level, you know, probably above 6% for at least sort of two to three years. And that's because once you get people out of a job, you're exactly right. You go, okay, where do we put these workers? Well, there's not that many jobs going for a period. And a lot of these sort of silver bullet areas, if you will, are not going to be particularly strong. I mean, we keep talking about tech. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter where we are, if, if we're in New Zealand, if we're up in you know each town across the country, everyone tells me that there are tech jobs and they're really strong. I've never seen that you know actually starting to come through in the numbers or suddenly seeing data hubs pop up here, there and everywhere. So I don't think that's, we can't take that silver bullet approach. The challenge is going to be how do we actually get those businesses hiring? That's the big one. How do you actually instill a bit of confidence at a time when businesses are looking out there and going, hell, there's not really any good news. The globe's a bit stuffed. We're a bit stuffed. You know, it, it's tough. And so I think the challenge for government is, well, put your money where your mouth is. If you're going to go and go out and procure, you're going to go out and spend some money as the government, and they're spending billions. 
then find some Kiwi, you know, businesses. Go and have a talk to some of those smaller entities and get some, some money flowing because the more you do that, the more activity you can get out the door, the more workers you're employing. So I think part of it is, is sort of saying, look, government sort of steps up with the cash it has. On the other hand, I think we've got to get a bit smarter with, with how we develop jobs and, and, and similar because we're not going to see tourism bounce back quite so similarly. I think we've got to try and find more of what we talk about, the weightless economy. Um, you know, how can we do more zeros, if you will, or, or pay sources or similar, where we can develop some stuff. Businesses need some good digital technology to keep them operating, especially when we're working from home and similar. That does have opportunity, but it's not a click your fingers, we've all solved the problem sort of solution. It's, it's going to take time. There's, there's some really interesting realignments taking place in the economy, which are, are, are either directly or indirectly a result of COVID. So, for example, um, and this won't you won't see the full effects of this for another couple of years, but so uh, remote working. So, so people that perhaps previously were located in an office who have found, hey, I can work from home, I can be productive, employers who are saying, hey, that's actually okay, that works for me. The impact of that over the next two or three years is that leases, when leases expire, You'll see you'll see differences in the, in the footprint that businesses actually require, um, and so you'll see that'll have an impact on, on on the commercial property market. But there's a whole range of stuff. I'm talking to people, for example, in the tech sector, uh, innovators and entrepreneurs who are saying, "Best time we've ever had." There's an opportunity for us to, to develop. So there's this kind of haves and have-nots taking place in the economy at the moment. There's some really exciting success stories, I think, which will come out of this and will emerge out of it. As, as almost a better country than we were prior to COVID. But then the flip side of that, if you you know if you go to a cafe or or or, or a, a restaurant anywhere around the country, they'll tell you that they're struggling. So so there's this very strange juxtaposition mm -hmm. taking place between on the one hand some stuff that's proven to be hugely successful and people who are saying this has been a fantastic time and a whole other section of society saying this is killing me, my business is going to go under. And, and I don't think we're going to know what that's going to look like for another year or so. On that, Ash, I was just going to say here in um, San Fran, exactly to your point around the commercial thing has happened. When as soon as it hit uh, July, and the, all those big tech companies said none of the workers need to come back to the office for until July twenty twenty one. That's an entire year done. Like yeah. so, yeah. in in one week, there was a, a massive exodus out of the city. And yep. all of the suburbs, out, like the East Bay and stuff where, where we're at, all the house prices shot up. You can't actually really even get a house. The exodus out of New York's been absolutely massive too because they're doing the same thing. All those big hedge fund managers that were running it all pissed off down to Florida with no state tax and taking all the jobs and stuff with them as well. But the interesting bit on that is then what happens to all the – like I went to the city three weeks ago maybe I had just for um, a couple of hours and it's pretty much dead. Like entire skyscrapers zero nothing the difference with that is it's going to be like that for the next um next year and as all their leases go, they're basically going to yeah or longer 100 yeah. definitely longer um but in new zealand it's been different because i guess the two short shorter little lockdowns they got through i guess it's you know one or one or two months lockdown instead of an entire year or so so i'm intrigued to see how the commercial markets well, but uh, vary Right, you're right, it was shorter, but what happened after the lockdown ended was lots of businesses said to their employees, if you want to stay home and continue working, you can. So so mm. although you can go back into commercial premises now, lots of people are still working from home, and that's based, that's the, the, the legacy of, of that initial lockdown. And, and to be clear, we're seeing that coming through in the numbers. If you look at the consumer spending in Wellington City, Christchurch uh, City and Hamilton City, all of them are performing worse uh, then the likes of Waipa, you know, outside of Hamilton, uh, Selwyn outside of Christchurch, and just the entirety of the Wellington region, 
Horiroa, Kapiti, The Hut, uh, Wairarapa, all of those guys are performing better. So people have definitely changed. And I think the shift that you've seen as well, though, and, and the big challenge is that that's going to suck a lot of air out of our more metro areas, um, and that's where a lot of your, your shopping and entertainment happens. But more of an issue, I, I think, is that what does that mean for, for housing going forward? Because we know it's already damn expensive. But, you know, uh, look, I went through the four and a half weeks of lockdown zooming around on my ironing board. I don't have a desk at home. And so I think for a lot of people, there's a challenge there over, you know, what, what are we looking for in a house now? Because it's no longer just a, a bed and a kitchen, if you will. It's, it's got to have a working space. It's got to have the ability to lock the kids in a different part while you go on your important call. Uh, you know, I, I think what we're the looking basement, for... basement, Brad. <laughs> I'm just thinking too, Brad, you're probably going to trigger a, a, a huge increase in sales of ironing boards as a result. Yeah, oh, I was going to say, did you literally do all of your things on an ironing board? He's got board shorts on. The great thing with ironing boards is that they're adjustable, but it's like a standing desk almost. Um, but, you know, the, no, but that's the style change that we're going to see. Brad, on that point, what's happened in the city to that exact point is in the last couple of years, a bunch of people have been swapping out their, um, converting all the garages into an additional bedrooms and they've been using just ride sharing services and then the value of the house is going up bank because it's going from a two to three bedroom in the city, which you can't build around. So that was already happening pre-COVID just in terms of being able to use transportation and not have a car. After that, you're exactly right. Um, it's been interesting to see where the dollars are actually shifting and going. It's kind of moving out of the cities into it. And then I'm imagining the only play they could potentially do if it, if it stays like that for a while is convert commercial to resi, right? And, and, and redo a bunch of apartments. I don't know. That, 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 yeah, that's already to some degree been happening in places like Auckland. So there's a there's a sort of a well-established trend which happens every sort of 10 or 12 years in, in Auckland and Wellington and Christchurch where you get a big tranche of new commercial buildings. And so each monkey falls off the bed and moves up the chain a little bit. And so the stuff at the bottom tends to either get refurbished or turned into residential. That's been a long-established tradition for probably 30 years. Yeah, it's a funky one. Uh, what surprised you the, the what was the one thing that surprised you the most out of the, this last election? Like who is actually who's well, the biggest loser? I know. I know, Holly, you go, I know. go. Multi party is back in parliament. Did that surprise you? Did that surprise you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because fundamentally it came down to one seat, right? And the MP that holds that seat, like the incumbent, has not been doing a bad job for um, the Wairiki region. So then the question has to become why and which did the voters decide to move towards um, Māori Party and away from Labour? And, um, you know, when that sort of goes against the electoral vote trends that we're seeing across the country. Um, so I was very, very interested to see that happen and, um, you know, a Māori Party MP back in Parliament. So the only surprise for me, that's interesting, the only surprise for me was the outright majority. I didn't think that would happen. Okay. I think what Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, the surprise for me, it, it was not a surprise in the sense that, I mean, I knew there'd be a lot of new MPs, don't get me wrong, but I heard something the other day that something like 40 out of 120 MPs in the next parliament are brand new. You know, and I think that that's going to be quite a change. You've got a third of them complete newbies. Uh, I mean, the ACT Party's got nine complete uh, new people in it. Labor's got, you know, people that, that you know, are crawling out of the woodwork in a sense that they never knew about. And and look, Nationals lost a lot of its sort of former talent. And and the the challenge and the, the surprise that I think that there is in store for New Zealand is how effective are they at decision makers? Now, I don't think they'll be bad, but it will take a little while for them to get going into the future. 
But the other question is, Labour did struggle with talent in the last term. They had sort of five or six real key ministers. You saw there with Chris Hutchins being given everything, uh, Megan Woods being given everything else. Uh, you know, what sort of talent can uh, Jacinda Ardern bring into the ministry and side cabinet? Uh, and, you know, what does she do with that while, you know, th there's a lot of people you've got to corral there. And so that's all right for the first wee bit. But if the polls start to turn, if people do sort of shift their expectations, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, possible issue points that the Prime Minister might also have to deal with. So just sort of sounding a word of caution that there's a lot of very green MPs, uh, not, 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 not green party, but green experience. We've you say that if the tide, yeah, you say if the tide turns, though, it's going to turn. That you can't, I don't fundamentally think that they're going to stay at 49% favorability throughout a three year term. That's just not going to happen. Like, like, so, you know, then I think what we'll see is what you're saying will happen. It will rear its head quite early on in the three year term. We've been yep. here before, too. We were here in 1990 with the National Caucus after the, the trouncing of, of the, the Longy government, which was massive. It was, the big, I think, the biggest caucus of that stage we'd had in history of, of UMPs. Uh, we had it again um, <coughs> in 2002 with Alan Clark's government after, after um, uh, Bill English's uh, National Party got trounced. So we have these periods of complete refreshing. And it's interesting because it's a bit like looking back on All Black um, uh, uh, kickers, you know, we sort of think that the last one we had was the best we're ever going to have and then there's a better one. And so what tends to happen is as these caucuses develop within three or six years, you start to find that there's some superstars in them and, and the parties replenish themselves and, and things go on. So I'm not concerned about that. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And I agree with Holly that this is, this is a moment in time and this is probably as good as it's ever going to get for Labour. It's downhill from here. The question's about whether they can sustain a third term or whether it'll be all over at the end of this one. I was just going to say, as you're bringing up 1990, I remember the three of us others on the panel were like about three years old, so we don't know what you're talking about. But, um, I'm stoked you were there. <laughs> um, a correction, Rebecca. Um, oh, Brad you're not born yet. No, you were Brad born yet, Holly. Brad wasn't oh, born, God. and I was born in 1990. Oh, Great year. Yeah, like you're jumping in the eye. You know, guys, if we just take it back to 1990, and I'm just sitting there, I was like, yo, I was watching like, like Sesame yeah. Street. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Mind you, so was I. <laughs> I think, but the lesson, Ash, is these these are cycles. This is a momentum. I think you're exactly right. If it's at 49 now, it's it will be downhill from here, but at to what point if they can sustain it, right? That's the 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 tested and true. Um uh, let's talk about Uncle Winnie, old mate from up north. Yeah. Is he done done or you think he's going to be like, he's going to, he's going to run it back? Like how, two how, schools how, how two schools of thought. so there's one school of thought, which I don't agree with, which says Winston is, is irrepressible and he'll be back and it doesn't matter how old he is. He's Methuselah and, and he'll be back in, two, in 2023 and have another crack. I don't think he will. I, I just think he's too old. I think he's past it. Um, <clears throat> I think this is it basically. And, and and Winston Peters is New Zealand first. There is no, no New Zealand first without Peters. There may well be a group of MPs who try and compete as New Zealand first at the next election. They won't have a hope in hell of actually getting anywhere near 5%. So for me, it's all over. It's the end of an era. Well, I think all you've got you've got to look at some of the factors, right? He's he's from the north. He couldn't win north and northern, neither could Shane Jones. They spent or they put forward three billion dollars 
And a lot of it went into Northland. That didn't get them anywhere close. New Zealand has an ageing population, which is normally a great New Zealand first stronghold, and that vote collapsed this time. I mean, I don't see where these votes come from. I don't see what New Zealand first offers to people uh, that they go, hell yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to back that because I'll get something good out of it. Because they got three billion bucks last time and they didn't even budge. I mean, if, if, uh-huh. if you can't throw three billion in front of people and, and get the votes, I don't think there's any amount of money that will work. Yeah, quite right. Holly, I'm going to be fascinated on your view on this. Well, I mean, people seem to forget that John Key knocked um, Winston out of Parliament, and I think it was in 20, was it 17 or 14, whenever it was, I don't know. Um, so he's been knocked out of right, Parliament before. Hmm? Was it 08? Oh, was it 08? I don't know. Well, I thought that was when Bridges came in, didn't, didn't she was, Bridges? She was 12. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go <laughs> Um, you know, so he's been knocked out of Parliament before, and then he was a, a lot younger, Holly. He was much yeah, younger. but that, but that's my whole point. Is there the 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 capacity to then ride out another three years to then put it in a campaign in three years' time? And what? How old will he be then in twenty twenty three? So he's, he's to, to pick up on Robert's theme. I'm fifty six, and I'm feeling pretty old now. So <laughs> what's what, what, he's, he's seventy eight, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine right? what that would be like. So that's, might have 81. that's 81 that we're looking at yeah. having. Um, yeah. and I, just, I don't see it happening. I just don't see it. Just by natural bio, biological traits, I don't see it happening. I agree. Well, you, you saw that right in terms of how he spoke on the night. Now, in previous times, whether or not he was in a strong position or not, he was fiery. You know, he fired up. He gave everyone what they yeah. wanted. It was clear yeah. that he was he was still battling, and I found that that speech uh, that he gave on election night, he look, he did say wait and see, sure, but he sort of he, he made it. It was a short speech. It was relatively yeah. clear uh, where the votes had fallen, and I think yeah. you know, given all of the work that he's done, it, it it was a bit of a signal, not the not the final sort of uh, uh, hurrah, but just the, a bit of a signal that hey, maybe things are coming to a natural conclusion. Let's go yeah. out on a high. We've done a lot, a lot of great work. We've, you know, got some enduring legacies. Uh, perhaps there isn't as much of a path forward. And so let's go on and, and relax. Let's do a bit more fishing. Let's enjoy what life has got to offer. I think, hey, no, make no you... mistakes, you're going to see him. He will be an ambassador or he will be a special consul or something. He will appear somewhere again yeah. in a leadership role somewhere on the international landscape for this country. So Have, I haven't think... seen that, though. Having said that, though, Holly, how old's Biden? Is he like uh, in his 80s? I don't know. Oh. Yeah. He's, he's no, 70, they're both in the 70s. 77, <laughs> I think. Oh, you know, I don't know if that's a precedent, but... <laughs> I, I, and incidentally, what you didn't ask us, Robert, I'm actually not sad to see the back of him. I'm not sad to see the back of Peter's. I think he's, oh, really? Yeah, what? I think he's negative on the political... He's been entertaining, but I don't think he's been productive. Well, I'll tell you a story, Ashley. I was once at the RSA up in Dargaville, and I walked. I watched Uncle Winnie on Anzac Day walk in, and that dude ran shit. Like, he walked through like he was, like, on a – I've never seen a dude – like, I've seen – you know, like, I, you see famous people and these celebs and shit, and, like, I've seen fame, but you haven't seen Dargaville fame with Winnie, wow. Winnie rolls through the RSA. Wow. <laughs> You'd want that on your tombstone, wouldn't you? It was, it was impressive. I'm not gonna say it was. It was genuinely impressive. Like it was like the the, the hot girl walked in. Everyone's like, "Oh, yo, check it out!" It was like you know, when you're talking to Steve's like, "Hey, look, it's Winston." Oh, I don't know. Anyway. Creepy, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know what i mean so i want to i want to talk about um uh, the, the next bit with if it's only down from here um how do you think this uh, plays out? If they can, if it's a majority, they they do from the whole time. So how does it play? Are they going to try and play nice with others? Is it just like stuff? That this is what we're going to do. Is it going to be more dictatorial? Obviously, he's saying in the centre. Like, how do you think this next year, three years, play it plays out? Oh, it's got to be centrist. It's got to be centrist. I don't think they've got any choice unless they're stupid and that's possible. Uh, it's got to, it's got to be much more centrist policy. Incidentally, and I know this is true in housing, and it might be true in some other areas of policy. I think for the two of those last the three years of their first term, they, they thought they were going to they were going to lose uh, the following election, so they pushed through a heap of policy. If you look at housing, they brought in the five year extension to the Bright Line test, changes to the Residential Tenancies Act, uh, the Healthy Homes legislation, ring fencing of tax losses. They did all of that in a hurry because they wanted to get it done before the election. I think there's not that if you look at some of those those portfolio areas now, there's actually not a lot more that they'll feel that they need to do. So it'll be a centrist. I think what we're going to see moving forward with with this uh, government and the majority is that they are going to have to play to the centre, but they are going to keep trying to make friends. But make no mistake, any concessions that another party gets, that's what Labour is willing to offer them. You know, you, everyone is going to get the the, yeah. the bare minimum crumbs because yeah. Labour doesn't have to play nice. They will because it is advantageous to them. But, you know, anything the Greens get, anything the Māori Party gets, that is exactly what Labour is willing to give them because there is no bargaining position. There's no power in those negotiations. Totally. And so I think you know, we do have to... to realize that there is sort of a, a straight line down the middle there's a bit of variation to either side, but labor is calling the shots make no mistake about that my biggest interest in what will happen and how this will play out is what's going to happen with the deputy prime ministership now i don't know about anybody else here on the panel but i was extremely disappointed in what came out of the deputy prime minister elect's mouth on election night just before the prime minister elect came out and i think that we should touch on that well i think well for example i was watching news hub and they did a very graceful thing and turned it off but we had a potential deputy prime minister referring to uh parliamentarian colleagues mental health issues bringing up issues of race on a time where they had a momentous win and i thought is this really what kind of attitude we're getting from somebody who's are you saying it wasn't gracious enough it was a poor. It was appalling, is what it was. That's no, my adjective to describe it. I've heard about it. I didn't see it. It was pretty bad, obviously. It was. Is, it, did it, is this the the rhyme poem thing that yeah. the, someone... lim, the limerick? Yes, and I think. It's Sorry, yes. That, I think it's important that we talk about it because to let something like that just gloss by, then we're actually ignoring the fact that they, those words were said on national TV in a way oh. by somebody who was deputy. Holly, are, we, deputy. are we assuming that he'll actually be the deputy because she'll do a reallocation of her cabinet and her portfolios in the next couple of weeks? And who, I mean, it might be Grant Robertson. Who knows? Oh, absolutely. But that's what I'm hoping to see because yeah. I think that in this day and age, to go out and say something like that, especially as someone who is touted as a Maori leader, I was very disappointed that that came out yeah, of yeah. that waha. Like, I, I was like, what are we doing? Who's, who Why said it? Uh, Calvin Davis. Calvin Davis. Got it. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> you can't lead with kindness and they have old mate coming up giving people shit about mental health. It's like, he's gassed. Next. <laughs> that's, that's the challenge, though, right? Is that, look, I, I completely agree with you, Holly. I, I, I listened to parts of it and I thought, wow, this is... um. 
you know, if, if there's one way that you lose goodwill, it's by saying, you know, that that sort of stuff. But it goes to a wider question around judgment, right? Uh, and, and and the way that he that, that, that Davis operates. You look at how he's worked in Parliament uh, and the times when he has had to stand in for the Prime Minister. He's had to have uh, every other minister whisper in his ear the answers. He hasn't been able to sort of do the, of some of that by himself. But at the same time, there's been a lot of conversation as well around uh, that it would be seen as a slight on on sort of the Māori caucus and 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 on the direction of Māori, uh, you know, in terms of leadership by removing the person uh, who is uh, in higher status there. And but look, he's, I, not, he's not the chair of the Māori caucus. The, currently, they have the co-chair of the Māori caucus outside cabinet. Here's a great thing to do: put them them inside cabinet like do you know what i mean there's things that you can do to change the narrative but what i'm saying is somebody who is proud of being maori i was very disappointed to even talk about the fact that the um the leader of the national party's partner is samoan so that means talofa why are we talking about this who cares it's so it was so off tone and for what happened on the evening which should have been a celebration of the fact i don't Holly Adern was very careful in her language when she was asked that. She said that the Deputy Prime Minister will be from the Labour Party. She didn't say it would be Davis. So the other thing that I'll focus on is, uh, you know, and, and Ashley and Holly will know this well, we saw uh, throughout lockdown and other periods that there were two ministers, there were two people that fronted up with Dr. Ashley Bloomfield throughout this entire crisis. It was the Prime Minister and it was Grant Robertson. You know, that this is a health crisis first and foremost. Health Minister was literally riding his bike down in Dunedin. Uh, you know, we've had a massive increase in, in how many people are on the dole. Social Welfare Minister, don't know where they were. It was Grant and Jacinda who were running the show, and I think that speaks uh, volumes around who the, the, the leadership is, and in a sense that if the Prime Minister is unable to operate, if she's out doing something else, that is where the Deputy PM steps in, and at the moment, regardless of who gets the title, I think it's clear who the, 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 the second uh, runner, the, the, the inside right-hand man is, and it's not Calvin Davis. Yeah, I agree. Mate, just soundbite after soundbite there, Brad. You just flipping just yeah. that one on the bow. Jeez. Have you had media training along with your yeah, IU you, shirts? What are, what are you doing there? <laughs> well, but do, do you want to know, in all honesty, I had an awful stutter as a kid when I was three. And so, like, from, from there to here, it's, it's been quite a wild journey. I'm not going to lie. Mate, to matching pocket squares and socks, you're on fire, mate. I mess with that. It's a nice time. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about weed. You reckon it's going to go through? Oh. Nah, no. Oh, what? Not even. Not even <laughs> wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. My, my cousin messaged me. <laughs> Why well, is it done? No. Nah. So, so, just in the interest of transparency, I voted no and no on on the referendum question. So, so obviously, I've got a bias on it. But uh, but the euthanasia will go through at about giving seventy five percent support would be my pick. And the, oh, uh, wow. and the cannabis will be 35 to 37% in favour of the risk against. Oh, jumping on that, anyone else? I reckon it'll be a little bit closer. I reckon euthanasia will get across the line 60-40, but I reckon cannabis will lose uh, 45 to 55 against, roughly. Why? I think, well, I, I think the big challenge here is that uh, th th there's a few issues. The first one is there was no strong campaign behind it. No one really fronted up with a strong yes, let's do it campaign. Um, yeah, and Andrew Tanchot, he's coming back. I don't know if that's true, Brad. I was inundated with, with uh, digital marketing and TV ads on it. I thought it was everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, but there was no strong leadership. There were a lot of groups and bits and pieces. It wasn't a person, you're right on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, but whereas you did have a, at least a bit of a stronger view, and you know, coming through, in, in my view, from from the no. The other thing that I, I'd highlight is that the polling we saw beforehand uh, showed that that it wasn't the sort of thing that had a majority to start with. It wasn't all that close, and so I think for a lot of people, they they did. There is a fear uh, across a lot of New Zealand around the sort of the law and order um, element. And the other challenge is, is that actually this was a non-binding referendum. We don't know what the outcome was going to be. To be honest, Labour could go and do it tomorrow if they really wanted to, because there was no direction either way. There was no bill that was passed. Uh, there was a lot of conjecture. And so I think from a lot of people, they went, well, I'm not comfortable enough to make that change yet without having some of these discussions out. The mere fact that the government themselves wasn't prepared to release their economic findings on weed before the election, and the Prime Minister has been hell-bent in saying, I'm not going to make any calls on what my stance is, highlights to me that there's just not enough confidence in the result where there was with euthanasia. Holly, what do you and think as a young woman? Well, here's a... I, I, I'll do exactly what you did, Ashley, and I'll do full transparency on how I voted. I voted no for weed and yes for end-of-life choice. Um, but what I would say is that Brad touched on a really interesting point. The government has the mandate or the ability to put some legislation in the House now and usurp what is basically public will, and they could bring this in, you know, ASAP if it was a priority for them. So that's going to be one of the really interesting things for me is to see what? whether or not they, they decide that they're going to do something like this versus what public response has said, which I do think it's not going to come out favourable towards um, legalising. What's your pick, what's your pick on the votes? Which way do you think the votes will go? Oh, I don't know. I'm terrible at that stuff. <laughs> uh, got, uh, the bro, Victor Vito. Awesome insights for what's potentially ahead. Thanks to everyone on the panel. Shot Victor. He's currently housed up in France next to a winery with wifey and groms, just with Cheer a wine up. and a big Cheer straw. That's what he's oh. up to. Shot Victor. <laughs> so sorry, Victor. Wee wee. I wouldn't have. I thought it was. I thought it was a done deal. I was just like. Uh, well, obviously in America, the I guess I'm in California too, the the stance on the old marriage of boo-boo is very lax, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and I was like, wait a second, well, of course New Zealand's going to, like, everyone, like, my mate's a cop, he smokes weed. Everyone I know, so, like, what? And I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised that that you, it's, it's, it's a no-go. I'm, I'm extremely surprised. Incidentally, I don't think uh, California is a sound bubble of the US either. We're probably more comfortable with Kentucky or Idaho or somewhere that's uh, perhaps a bit more conservative of you. No, that's meth, mate. That's meth over there. Don't worry about that. No, but but what has been interesting is Colorado when they um, did it in the whole legalized thing. The tax money they've been bringing in is crazy. Wow, absolutely insane. And and it, like big corporates, big tobaccos coming into it. It's huge. And obviously in New Zealand, there's been a couple of these little sort of um, these uh, marijuana sort of hemp startup, health based type things. I guess what do they just go into pause mode now? Like, well, what's the play? They, they, no, because there's a stuff? difference like, between you... medicinal, which you can use yeah, and you which can is access legal. currently, and you can use that, and that is a good thing because it does provide like a health benefit to a lot of people who need it in regards to whatever ailments that they're having and their doctor prescribes it for them. They don't have mm. to push, push pause. They keep going. That is you should have been the campaign. Listen to you. Yeah, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so can you do CBD pills in New Zealand? Is CBD legal? I don't, I don't know. Don't even know no. what it is. Yeah. Like CBD um, oils, I think and all you sorts. get like an exemption or something for for those sort of products. 
there's i mean it is a sort of thing we've got to do more work to get that regime sort of fully put in place uh, but at the moment i think for, from a new zealand point of view there's that there's a sort of feeling that look we've got a lot of drug issues in the country now I'm, I'm not saying that we go down the slippery slope argument path of saying you know weed leads to meth because I, I, i'm pretty sure the studies highlight that it doesn't but no, it leads to nachos and cookies worried. mate on the couch yeah <laughs> <laughs> people are worried about what the sort of wider and more pervasive use of it will do we know that when weed is legalized that people do use it more and that's come out of some of the colorado studies it does generally say that young people use it less but we haven't yet had that conversation as well which i think needed to probably happen around what would weed and being legal in New Zealand mean you know how would that work in the in, in the workplace how would we deal with it in terms of drug driving um, all those other challenges because you know there is a difference here between you know using weed uh, uh, you know, just recreationally sitting at home, having a bit, and then going out and doing other activities. We didn't have enough of that conversation. Uh, I don't think we ever really engaged in the debate at all. Euthanasia, and, and this is the separate point, right? Euthanasia went through Parliament. We had months and months and months of debate. We had leaders talking about it. Weed was completely separate from that. We had the Greens talking about it. Uh, you know, Chloe Swarbrick did a, did a great job to try and raise that profile, but we didn't have a proper engagement on it, whereas euthanasia did and the other point I'll, I'll, I'll highlight though is that we had sort of three broad conscience issues in the last parliament you had uh you know abortion which was changed within parliament we didn't have to go out to the uh, referenda but we did for the likes of weed and we did for euthanasia and i guess the challenge moving forward is that how much do we actually consider that referendums are the right way to go because if we're going to leave all of these nitty-gritty issues to the people then why the hell do we have a parliament? What what are they there for? We, we elect them, we pay them a good amount of money to get the right information to make a well-informed decision based on evidence, but also based on people's views. I think if they abdicate that responsibility too much by going out to referenda, especially with ill thought out or, or, or not fully considered policies, then that actually is at the detriment of our ability to make good decisions to move forward. Brad, you'll never get that balance right because if you have a if you have a parliament or a government that, that decides it's going to make decisions on behalf of the people, then people will complain that they weren't consulted. If if they consult, then then as you say, there'll be those who say they're abdicating their responsibility to make a decision. I think for me, it's if, if it's a conscience issue or it's an issue of uh, of 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 belief. Uh, then it should absolutely be put to the people to make that decision, and that should be binding. Um, anything else, probably the government should actually exercise uh, leadership. But moral leadership, that, that, that term always concerns me because morals very much are a subjective thing, and they depend on who's in power and where they stand ideologically. Couldn't you argue oh, that everything's a matter of belief, though? Because there's a lot of the things that the government's done, especially in response to COVID to COVID that I don't, as a business owner, they're inherently beneficial for me, but I don't necessarily agree with them because my belief is, is that it's a fundamental, it's a misuse of taxpayers' dollars. Well, in that case, just do what the, the Swiss do, I think, and just basically dispense with Parliament and do everything by by so, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to jump back into the euthanasia thing for a second. We had John Tomahiri on the show two weeks ago, and he was fully off it. And it was interesting. I'd never thought of the angle and he brought up, I think we'd maybe have talked about it after, I think Holly, after we um, talked to him was he said, you know, well, if the average um, life expectancy of Māori is already seven, I think it was seven years, um, then, then Pākehā, is does that just become a kill switch for a culture? And I was like, I get the angle, but 
also I've known people in certain situations uh, for it and I was um, I would have voted yes 100% for it um, and I, it's kind of cool to see that you think that, that that's going to go through because I think that's going to change a lot of people's lives um, in some pretty unique circumstances as well which they didn't have the rights before obviously. Ashley you should talk on this given that you have <laughs> fundamental disagreement. To- yeah well, go for it. Oh, mine, mine, mine's a- I don't know. Mine's a faith-based thing, so I just I have a, oh, I okay. have an issue. Yeah, so I have an issue with with uh, with a decision made either by the individual or by the state around the taking of life. I also have a concern that there's a slippery slope that at the moment Ooh. is based on individual. Dec- yeah, well, it's at the moment it's based on individual decision, but in 20 years' time, is it you know people that are born that have defects or 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 that don't fit our social perception of what 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 society should be like? And you know we say oh that won't happen. Of course it will happen. Course, it will happen. That precedent's been set in a range of other things over the last thirty or forty years. So, so I guess my worry is where does this lead over time? But look, I, I absolutely recognise, Robert. I'm in a minority on that, and, and you know, I've accepted that. No, but it's a different angle on it. But go there, D. But you say like some, yes, but it's a slippery slope because then some within some other individual circumstances may literally have their lives ended unfairly, unjustly. Well, when do you get like, into? And this is a really emotive term. But how far do you go before it becomes eugenics? You know, how, do, how far do you go in this debate before it becomes about society deciding what what constitutes a, a worthwhile member of society and what doesn't? Cool. I think I think I'll just point out. Oh, okay, you go. No, no, you, you go. Really. I was going to say, I'll just point out there's only one person on this call that can carry a human life. Congratulations. The challenge, I think, is I, I where uh, Ashley's coming from, and, and and I think you know that you 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 say you're in the mi- minority, but I think that you know there's there's a lot of people that do hold that view, and I think we do have to take it seriously. My position is is that you know, and, and to, you know, I think we've all done transparency here. I voted yes to, to euthanasia and no to weed. My thinking around that is, look, at the moment, uh, we have a very, very tight prescription. You, you have to be in the last six months of life. That, that, that's not that you've got a mental health uh, issue or, or that you're in a great deal of pain. It's that your life by medical expectation is likely to end in the next six months, next sort of, you know, 180 days. Uh, and, and, and moreover, that there are checks and balances that are in there. And I guess that I have a little bit more confidence in New Zealanders that when we start to have a debate over whether we should go uh, away from six months, that we won't go down to the sort of the willy-nilly angle of, well, you know, you just want to, to, to kill yourself. And I think we do have to keep those ones a little bit more divorced. This is a relatively tight medical area. It has to have good double processes with at least two doctors. It is time limited. It, pro- it provides that you cannot just sort of uh, go through it because of mental health issues and similar. So I think for the minute we've had, one, enough checks and balances put in, but secondly, we've had that long-standing debate over the last year or so with our elected members, with the experts, with the community over what we think are the key issues. And I don't think we're actually veering down that path yet. And I think it would take a, a very strong shift in New Zealanders' viewpoints to, to move towards that position is what I would like to think. It's a tough one, eh? When there's one one rule for all, but then every person's situation is different, you know. What like, and that's I, I can definitely see, but I can definitely see the other side too. And even speaking to John with his bit, I got his angle. I was like, okay, I, I understand. I understand that, but it's obviously a bigger, complex thing. Um, what are you most concerned about in the next for the next in this next term, next three years? What's the biggest concern for New Zealand as a whole, brand New Zealand to the world? For the next three years, 
lack of action, lack of a plan, uh, falling further and further behind the other nations in the OECD. I am extremely worried about more people losing their jobs and them not having a pathway towards getting re-employed and looking after themselves, looking after their whānau and what that might mean for, like, you know, ongoing um, benefit dependency. Yeah, I think sort of similar there. My my one is, is rising inequality. At the moment, we've got a lot of haves and a lot of have-nots. People are losing jobs. They're often in lower-skilled areas. They're young people. They're Māori. They're women. Uh, at the same time, we've got a housing market that is just rapidly growing, and, and Holly and I are probably, you know, in a very tough position to ever get into the housing market, and so are our peers. Now, that's not going away. That's actually getting worse. And if we don't see... Uh, Basically, I think, look, government has abdicated its responsibilities when it comes to inequality a bit. If they don't make some action very swiftly this term, we may well never be able to pull that back. Well, I would just say that, and like, um, there's a great commentator on One Roof who talks about the uh, 10% deposit and how that helps fundamentally people in our age bracket get into the housing market. And we have seen an, a boom in um, first home buyers. And so I would say that I would just tell that commentator, I, I can't remember his name. I think it starts with A, might be Ashley, just to keep going and banging that drum. Because I think that what we have seen in a pandemic is actually, wow, now that the restrictions have lifted, people of our age can actually scrape to get together 10%. We can't get 20, but we can get 10 and let us get on the housing market because that, yeah. that's actually what's happening. I mean, I, you know, and this is, you're going to disagree with this, Brad. I think we are currently in the most benign environment for first-time buyers. Let me just turn that off. The most, that's Winston. The most, uh, <laughs> the most, <laughs> wait, the most, uh, the most benign environment for first-time buyers that we've been in for 20 years. We've, we've got, the Reserve Bank's dropped the LBRs. The banks are now starting to exercise discretion when it comes to the size of the deposit. Um, getting back to a more practical uh, situation where the, where the party lending the money is actually making the decision. It costs less to service a mortgage now on a property uh, on, on the median house price, uh, on the median household income than it did uh, back in the 80s. Um, and yes, it's difficult to, to, to compete with property investors. Yes, house prices are going up and that's difficult. That's always been true. None of that's new. The only thing that's changed is that we've got lower interest rates and it's actually easier to get onto that ladder. And instead of listening to the profits of doom, young people should be getting in there, persevering and getting that first property. Because if they do that and they ignore the nonsense, they'll get a house. What about if I'm at Pack and Save on 12 bucks an hour? Oh, I agree. There's always, there's always going to be... <laughs> no, 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 hold on, hold on. That's illegal. If you're at Pack and oh, Save I... on 12 bucks an hour, then we have an employment problem. So no, well, my f- it. hey, it's Holly. I don't know what uh, my first job was five dollars fifty an hour sweeping floors underneath cheapskates with a flipping broom and a torch. It was super shit. It's well, come we've come a long way since. Big question. The answer is there's always going to be a section of society that rents for one reason or another, yeah. and that proportion's been pretty consistent at about sixty forty for a very long period of time. I'm referring to those people who could get a house but are being put off because they're reading this nonsense that's telling them that it's too hard and that they're victims. And that really, really upsets me because it's simply not true. 
I, I think that's fair. I think we've also got to realise, though, that, I mean, the amount of money, I don't disagree with you, actually, that, look, if, if you're on the housing, I, I think the way we probably need to phrase that a little bit differently is that it's not easy to get on the housing ladder, it's easy to stay on the housing ladder. Once you get over that deposit threshold, sure, it's cheap as chips, if you will, to continue on. But, man, who the hell's got a spare 120, 160K in their back pocket? So the sure LBRs, but the LBRs have gone, bread, and the banks are now slot finally starting to actually exercise discretion. So you'll see those those deposit requirements come down. I think Holly's right. If it carries on at this rate, you'll get down to 10%. That's achievable. It's certainly achievable in the regions, and it's potentially achievable in some parts of Auckland. So that whole equation being turned on its head. Right, no, exactly to you. Oh, see you, Brad. The, the, the one thing that concerns me, I, I, I look, I don't disagree. The thing that concerns me is talking to people out in the market. The uh, the question, if you will, that mortgage brokers and similar are asking has changed from have you asked mum and dad for money to how much have they got? Ha have you got from them? And I think that the challenge that we have moving ahead is that there isn't going to be that same generational wealth distribution in terms of passing things on over time. And so, look, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, every young person is, is, is completely stuffed from the housing market, but it's quite clear that the numbers are showing us that the, 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 what, the gap is widening. And if we don't start to address that soon, you are going to lock that in. That, that's, that's what we've seen in economics time and time again, is that there is a critical point, a critical tipping point where you do not have that coming through. The best indicator of that, Robert, is the social housing wait list that was running at about 4,000 on average for the three years to mid 2016 it's now gone to nearly 20,000 you can't tell me that it's easy enough to get on the housing ladder because it's quite easily proven that it's not now I don't disagree actually that you know there are bits that are becoming easier but there's a hell of a lot of people that are not going to be in that same position and I think we have to recognize that we are leaving them out I mean, we could spend a whole hour on this, but the social housing debate's a completely different debate. The social housing debate's around people who are in a completely different set of circumstances. Um, and it's also worth mentioning, this, I could go on the social housing register, Holly could go on the social housing register. It's an opt-in register. It's not based on any means testing whatsoever. So it shouldn't surprise us within the term of a Labour government with green support that that register would have increased because that perception of entitlement has been increased. For me, it's about what's happening within the part of the market, that 60% of the market where people can purchase, and we should be doing everything we can now to get people into a home, not trying to create new obstacles by saying, there's a problem in the market, you're a victim, don't even try. That's the bit that's irritating me. We should be doing everything we can as a nation saying, how can we get people into a home? Because that's the most important and the most valuable thing you can do for anybody. I was just thinking Sorry, that, 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 no, 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 it's, I, I get it. I mean, actually, what would you know about property in New Zealand? Fuck, well, anyway. There is, there is, there is. Um, <laughs> no, no, but there's something quite interesting that the we're talking about uh, commercial prices with COVID. In a weird way, maybe it might actually help home ownership because if COVID's making virtual working and remote working more accessible and easier, there'd be more bosses that are oh, open to have what? staff going elsewhere, right? Is that, yes, so what, do you what, think what? that may happen? You I do. And, and what will happen, and in fact this has already started to happen even pre-COVID, is over the next 20 years or so you'll see a drift to the regions because the days of having to be co-located in, in the CBD um, and having to commute from your Auckland, Wellington or Christchurch suburb um, are, are disappearing. You'll be able to be in Hawke's Bay, you'll be able to be in Taranaki, you'll be able to be in Manawatu or, 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 or Otago and, and still work for the same employer. That, that balance has changed. That's a really positive thing. It will have an impact on house prices in the region. 
Yeah, the prep, but, but that same house that would be 1.5 in Auckland, I imagine now if you get the same job externally, it could be five, 600, 700, whatever yeah. potentially elsewhere, right? So yeah. that could open it up. Although um, probably going and, a bit more quickly as a result of this, but yes. Yes, which is exactly what's happening in the, in the Bay Area as everyone's going out of the out of the, out of of the the city. But uh, interestingly enough, say down in Silicon Valley, the whole um, mini ecosystem of bars and restaurants and small stores, gone burgers. That whole bigger thing outside of it because because of it uh sorry but yeah but i mean if you go out into the suburbs in in san fran the opposite is the case you're seeing a proliferation of new hospitality yeah so so the balance changes yeah um and then uh yes there there is and those that are actually crushing the most have um outdoor um, th- those that have outdoor stuff are on yeah. fire and, and they're doubled, but everyone else inside gonna, is, is pretty much sh- shut down all the malls and everything. So um, it's going to be like that for the while. Because as soon as um, as soon as soon that call was made from big tech that any staff can be anywhere in the world and piss off, it doesn't matter, the whole game changed because all of a sudden everyone's like, wait a second, now I've got my same salary and I can go to flipping Oregon and I'm buying, you know, whatever. So that's, that's um, been interesting. Um, team, this has been great. I... I'm not going to say I had he- he- reservations or hesitations about this panel because obviously we have some good banters, but I definitely know where some of you stand on certain things. And I was hoping we'd be able to navigate through with a bit of humor and jest, but also with a bit of mic dropping when needed, which I was very happy with. Well done, team. Good job. Good, <laughs> good kiwiness. But, mate, if we go back to that, that 1990 thing, I tell you what, man, I remember those days. Those were, those were great. Um, Holly, Ash, Brad, this has been really cool. Appreciate the time. We need to do this again. This was cool. I like it. I learned, I learned a lot. Good stuff, and just, just, Brad, just quickly, do you have like a little side panel with heaps of numbers that we just read now and you had them as bullet points? Do you actually know that stuff? All up here, mate. All up here. <laughs> uh, love your work, Tim. All right, I'll see you guys soon. Kaki See you, team. What a good one. Good session, team. Bloody great. Uh, very lucky. Ashley Church, um, Brad Olson, and Holly Bennett joining us today for Political Panel. Learned a lot. Very hard thing with politics because you've got a whole 360 thing involving every part of community and society and there's all these different layers, but it was great that you can have different um, different thoughts. And uh, obviously with the election last week, um, we will see how things are going to go for the next little bit. So hopefully you learned a little bit. I did too. Um, not a politician. No one pays me doing this. I genuinely enjoy learning and I appreciate the time for everyone to be able to jump on and, um, and help out. So Big ups and thanks to our, our massive uh, guests that came on with spent their time with us. Uh, big thanks to you for, for listening and learning. Uh, this ep- this uh, episode has been brought to you by brightfire.co.nz and switch.stream. Have a good day, team. I'll see you all. Awesome.